You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you're joining me for episode 263 of the Blended Family Podcast. It's a beautiful day here in Florida. I hear the birds chirping outside my window, and I think you're going to love today's show. I've got a great guest for you today, Miss Elise Buey, and we are going to be talking about how to co-parent like CEOs. And I know that we've talked a little bit about this in the past, the importance of sometimes treating your co-parenting relationship like a business transaction and it might not be the right fit for everybody but I think that everybody will benefit from listening to today's show because we're going to be talking about boundaries and communication and just things that you can do to set off a better relationship with the uh, co-parents of your kids to make things easier for you so we'll get to that in just a minute just a reminder I'm still compiling questions for my Q&A show about me, about Ask Melissa Anything show, because like I mentioned last week, I don't usually put myself out there very much, but I'm doing this show as a way to do that. But I don't know what you want to know about me. So ask away. You can ask me anything you want. I am an open book, even though I don't always bring up things on the show about myself. That's just something that I need to get past. But I'm a very honest person, and I'd love to share anything that you want to know about me. It could be a relationship question, a parenting question, or just a personal question. I don't care. So just send that to me, Melissa, at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Now, one other thing happened last week that was really weird. Um, Well, as you know, we have this financial business that we've been doing for a few years, and I kind of made myself sick because I was pushing myself with too many things too hard. So this year, I kind of took a little bit of a step back from the financials. It was really the time to do it anyway because of the state of the the world right now. It's not exactly the time to encourage people to save money, even though we all need to do that. But people are really just trying to survive right now. So as that happened, um, it's great. I've been able to focus a little bit more on the podcast, but also I've been able to rest and I've been able to practice self-care, which is so important for my healing. And then last week, just a very small incident came up on Monday. It was like I had, you know, two different phone calls from people in my company. And then another incident happened that should not have even been all that stressful, but I got very triggered and all this stress came up in me and I had a good cry over it and then I had to really come to the realization that I don't think I can do this right now. I don't think I can keep pushing, trying to run three businesses. It's it's hurting me and it's hurting my businesses. And so we're not giving up on the financial business because we very much believe in what we do there, which is so much about financial education, which is missing in our world. And so we are continuing to do that. But since I am overwhelmed right now with a lot of obligations, I'm going to be having, we, well, we have a very big team of associates. So 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to just have my team handle it. So uh, what you're going to find is I'm going to remove the free financial review from the scheduling site. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't still get a free financial review. You will, but it's going to be with somebody on my team. So I can't have you schedule it with me. We're going to have to schedule it with them. So there's a new procedure that I want you to do. And just as a reminder, a free financial review is just... You get our, our financial coaching for an hour. We sit down with you. We go over things. We educate you on some of the things that were not taught in school. Um, education about taxes, how to save on taxes. Just there's a lot there. Uh, if that sounds interesting to you, all you need to do is email me. Again, that's Melissa at blendedfamilypodcast.com. And just email in the subject line, you know, financial review. And what I will do is I will get a hold of you. I'll ask you a few questions and I will find the best person to suit your needs on my team of associates, whether it's at your location. Of course, we can also do everything remotely now, but I'd want to find somebody that's a good fit for you. And then, so that's what we're going to try for right now. Like I said, I'm not walking away from it. It's still there, but I just can't personally handle the workload anymore. Uh, but it is still available for you. It is still very important. That's why we're not walking away from it. But I just wanted to share that with you and also to invite you to look at maybe in your life, you know, is there something that you can let go of? Because I tell you what, as soon as I made the decision to just let go of it for right now, I felt this huge weight lift off of my shoulders you know we're so full of burdens and obligations these days and yeah some of them we really do have to do but I ask you is there anything in your pile there that you could let go of and what would that do for you how would that make you feel would it give more time to your family because I tell you I've been learning to enjoy my weekends with my family I didn't do that for years for years, I locked myself in the room and I didn't really spend time because I was working. So, and, and this doesn't even have to be work for you. It might just be something else that feels like a burden. So anyway, that's what happened to me there. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to tell you is I had a little mishap this week. I was trying to find you guys a new sponsor or new sponsor for the show. It helps me out too, of course. But um, so I was really excited about this one. I won't tell you what the name of the company is because I think there are several, but it's one of those medical test at home things. And you know, I was pretty excited about it because I thought it would really help you guys out. You know, I don't advertise anything on the show that I don't think is going to be helpful for you or that you're not going to get something out of. And so I thought this is great. People are home. Not everybody wants to go to the doctors. This will, they have all, you know, big variety of, of tests. And so the test came, this was a few weeks ago actually. And you know, it's one of those, you have to poke your finger and they give you six lancets and this little tiny vial and you've got to fill it up almost all the way in this vial. And I was a little bit stressed out about it. You know, I took out all the directions, set everything out, did everything like I was told except for take a hot shower because they want you to take a hot shower. But instead of that, I ran my arm under hot water. You guys, I couldn't get hardly any blood out of my fingers. We used all six pokers. My fingers were hurting because I had to go clean houses that day, of course, with gloves on. But we, I couldn't fill up the tube. And so, and I mean, I was jumping up and down. I was doing everything you could possibly do. So I called them 
And I thought, okay, this, you know, maybe this happens. They were so great about it. They sent me a new kit. Well, guess what? The second kit was worse than the first one. And this time I did take a shower. I took a steaming hot shower. I got out and I couldn't even fill it up. Like I didn't even get a drop. I don't know what's wrong with me or my fingers, but they don't bleed. But at any rate, I had been asking around because I thought, is this just a me thing? And I spoke with somebody else who said that she tried one from a different company and she had a similar issue. And then I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to pick this as a sponsor because that is the last thing that you guys need is to be more stressed out. You, you wouldn't believe how stressful. I Well, for me anyway. It was very anxiety provoking. I, I don't want to do it again. So, um, so I'm still on the hunt for a sponsor that is going to suit your needs. And um, I have a few things that I'm looking into, but it's fine. Like I said, it's just a help to support the show. Uh, and other ways that you could support the show, I think I have a PayPal donate button on the site. I'm not sure, but I think I do. And then also just share the show with a friend. That always helps. Just getting the word out for me is really great. And of course, we do have our sponsor that you're going to hear today, which is Living the Good Life Naturally. And I swear by her products. You'll hear that ad in just a moment. Last week, if you missed last week's show... We were talking Marriage Rescue with Kim Bowen. It was such a good show. If you're having any kind of marital issues, relationship issues, you definitely want to check it out. Uh, and then next week I'm doing a solo show. I got a great question from a listener about COVID. And I know I hate talking about COVID too, but this was such a good question. And I know it's so relevant for all of you, which is that what do we do when we feel a certain way about certain COVID issues, specifically, you know, masking and social distancing, and maybe the other household has completely opposite opinion as we do. And so I'm actually going to turn that into a whole entire show. We're going to answer that question, but then we're also just going to be talking about what do we do in co-parenting relationships when we don't agree on some of these major issues that involve our kids or things that you know, are really hard, we need to come to some kind of agreement. And so hopefully we'll help you with that next week. And that's it. We're just going to get right to this interview today. I hope you enjoy it after this ad from Living the Good Life Naturally. Thank you guys. See you next week. Living the Good Life Naturally is a self-care company focusing on magnesium. Statistics show that up to 50% of the U.S. population is magnesium deficient which can cause a multitude of health issues, including headaches, muscle cramps, seizures, hair loss, and more. Kristen Bowen, founder, created the company out of her own personal health struggles. So she really cares, and she has a mission to help others achieve optimal health. I myself am a huge believer in these products, and I use them on a daily basis. It's been especially helpful for my anxiety and my pain. Try the magnesium soak, the magnesium spray, or the delectable bath bombs for an extra treat. And check out the website to see the entire product line and learn more at livingthegoodlifenaturally.com. Or you can go back and listen to episode number 237 when Kristen was on this show. Don't forget to use my promo code BLENDED to receive a special discount. Order today and get your health back. Elise Bowie Esquire is a passionate, creative, problem-solving family law attorney who creates solutions, not obstacles. 
After evacuating her hometown of New Orleans during Hurricane Katrina and surviving a divorce, Elise landed in Seattle and founded her law firm. Elise's practice involves all aspects of family law, guided by a collaborative philosophy and her deep understanding of complex parenting issues. Elise opened her firm during a period of personal adversity. Now in a period of global adversity, Elise's firm has experienced its most significant growth yet, which she attributes primarily to her driving force and her mantra, I can do it. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you so much for having me, Melissa. I cannot wait to have this conversation with you. Oh, this is going to be such a good one, and I'm so excited to get into everything. But before we do, I just want us to know a little bit more about you, Elise, and really what brought you into this line of work that you do today? (laughs) That's always a funny question. Well, it was actually my own divorce. But um, I, so I'll back up a little bit. I'm an attorney in Seattle. I own a law firm, a family law firm. And, you know, we represent people in all areas of divorce, post-divorce. I personally, much of my personal work, my day-to-day work is in very high conflict divorces, either as a guardian ad litem or a parenting evaluator. I also do work as an expert evaluating other evaluators' work. Um, And so, I mean, I spend just so much time involved in high-conflict custody-type situations. Um, And, I mean, one of the main reasons I got into this work was because I was, you know, facing my own divorce. I mean, my ex-husband and I, we have four children. I'm now remarried, have two stepdaughters. My children are all getting older, though. I just have one left at home. But, you know, having all those dynamics of um, what you have to do and going through it all, when I decided to go back into the workforce, because I had stayed home for many years raising my children, it made all the sense in the world to me that I was, you know, going to just put my brain power to the thing that I had been working on, which was, you know, securing my own family's stability through a move because of Hurricane Katrina. We then moved again, divorce. I mean, it's a long kind of, you know, Hallmark miniseries kind of thing we had to go (laughs) through. But um, so I, you know, spent a lot of time educating myself. And obviously I'd been an attorney for years. I used to do insurance defense litigation before I stayed home with my children. So when it was time for me to go back to work, you know, as part of that divorce, I was like, I'm going into family law. I've learned more about family law than I care to admit, you know, on my own. So that's what I did. And that's what I started practicing and have built the firm um, over the last six years. And we now have about eight attorneys. I mean, I think we have about 27 people and, um, and that's what we do. Family law. Wow. Well, that is really amazing. And that's an amazing story. Um, I always find it really cool how people can take their life experiences that were just so traumatic at the time, and then you can use it to shape you into what you become. I mean, it's exactly why I started this podcast. If I didn't have a blended family and go through the torture that we went through in the beginning, I don't know if I'd be here doing this right now, right? So we we have pain, and then we learn from it, and then we use it to help other people so that is absolutely terrific, Elise. So I know I know you practice collaborative law, and we've only touched on that very briefly on this show. So I would love for you to explain a little bit more about collaborative law, what it is, and why you feel like it's really good to do. Oh, I love collaborative law. I cannot love it more. It is um, an amazing process 
where families decide that they are not going to use the court to resolve their family disputes. So they are going to each hire. So, you know, both the spouses would hire a collaboratively trained attorney, and then they would work with other professionals. And depending on their needs, that's going to decide which professionals, whether it's a divorce coach, a neutral financial person, a child specialist, um, and and there can even be other professionals, but those are the main ones. And we create kind of like what we refer to as a container so that we come together in meetings. So each spouse and their attorneys, and depending on the subject matter of the meeting, we might be having a parenting plan meeting. So the child specialist might be there. The divorce coach might be there too. You know, if we're having issues that we need some help in resolving we're going to sit in these meetings and we're going to work out the problems and the parties are going to be directing this much more than in a typical divorce that's more litigation based you know though a client controls the ultimate thing attorneys direct a lot of that whereas in the collaborative process i mean people are choosing to create durable agreements outside of the court system that meet their goals. I mean, one of the greatest parts of the collaborative process, and it's kind of woo-woo, but at the very beginning, we put up like a big whiteboard and we really talk about goals and we actually write down, you know, what are the goals? And so each spouse can put out, you know, what their, their goals are. And it's fascinating to see how many couples, even when they're divorcing, many of their goals are the same but then they'll have these, you know, errant goals that are, and I don't mean errant in any judgy kind of way. I just mean like maybe somebody wants to learn how to fly planes or, you know, something just kind of random. We really incorporate those high-end goals and and try to help the couple understand how important it is for us at the end of this process to be able to look back at those high-end goals and have met them through the durable agreements that they have created. I mean, it's pretty amazing when you can, you know, think about like, how are we going to live in a two home family? Like, how are we going to pay for that? You know, and all those different dynamics and being able to look at the end and say, we have created an agreement that allowed each of us to reach our goals. So in my mind, that's a win, win, win. I mean, each spouse wins and the children win because those people now know how to communicate as co-parents. I mean, it's kind of revolutionary if you think about it. Oh, it's more than that. And thank you so much for that wonderful explanation of what it is. And I really think that it sounds better than anything else that you can do. And I don't think it's woo-woo at all. I mean, what's better than working as a team together to try to become better people in a better blended family? I think that that's amazing. Now, to me, it sounds like it could be very expensive. How does it, you know, in price-wise, a traditional attorney as opposed to collaborative law, how does it compare? Sure. I think that is one of the the big things that a lot of people look at the cost of collaborative, because obviously, I mean, when you're sitting in a meeting and you've got two lawyers, you know, you've got a child specialist, you might have a financial neutral. I mean, those meetings can run, you know, a thousand something dollars an hour. Um, but that being said, I can assure you the cost is so much less. It might not be so much less in that hour, but when you look at the cost of litigation, I mean, in a typical litigation, 
you know, if somebody goes in and files for dissolution or divorce, whatever they call it in your state, people do what's called a temporary order. And again, those words are different in every state, but you can easily spend five to $10,000 on that first motion when you go into court. In a typical collaborative case, I feel like I recently saw statistics again here in Washington where the average collaborative collaborative case was in the sixteen to twenty thousand dollar range, and I mean that is for both parties. So I mean both parties are going to be able to you know get this resolved. Now obviously we attorneys can't ever guarantee fees unless we're doing it as a flat fee because you know you can't predict mm-hmm. the amount of conflict or the amount of back and forth that sure. you might have. But I mean the collaborative process is actually. In most cases, it is less expensive, but the bigger point of the money is you have a durable agreement that two people have bought into, and not only have they bought into it fiscally, they have bought into it emotionally. So that agreement is going to be so much better for the parents to be able to follow, whereas in court, People get agreements, often they're furious, even if they get them in mediation, they're mad about their agreements. They feel like they were pressured into it or the mediation lasted 14 hours and they just couldn't do another hour. So they caved, you know, all these things that people say, then they end up in court post-dissolution. And so, I mean, people have to have a long-term vision of what the collaborative process really does for your family. And that is a durable agreement that is based on sound decisions that benefit the family. Yeah. And I bet even when you compare that you can probably reach resolution much quicker in a collaborative law process as opposed to traditional court. Um, That is just as common sense. When you have a team of people working together for your benefit, it's going to be much, much easier than when you just each have one attorney and they're fighting. It's I I totally I think this is almost um, seems like the way of the future. You know how we're going into this new time frame where people are supposed to be working better together. And I just think that that. That's really great. I know that's not the topic we're here to talk about today. Today, we're actually going to be talking about how to co-parent like CEOs. This is not a topic I've covered before, but I think it's amazing because even at the beginning of my divorce, I used to say, we need to just treat this like a business relationship because sometimes it's so much easier that way. Um, And so I would like for you to explain why it is best to co-parent like CEOs. Absolutely. Again, I mean, when we're looking at, you know, the children of divorce and what is happening, all the social science tells us it is the conflict that damages the children. It is not the divorce itself. Many children whose parents can do this right thrive going back and forth to two homes, you know, dealing with things. It is the, it's the doing it right that, you know, so many of us get wrong. Um, And if you can reframe your brain where, you know, and we all know when we're getting divorced, I went through my own divorce, you know, you know, good and well how to push the buttons of your ex. I mean, you have a spouse brain where, you know, the same old fights come up, the same old resentments, the same old anger, you know, the same old behavior. And you're like, oh my gosh, do I have to deal with this for the 9,000th time this week? And you get mad. 
Whereas if you can flip that brain and flip your thinking and think of that other co-parent as your co-CEO, and you are not, you know, thinking as spouses, you're thinking of how do we as two business partners come together and maximize this human that we have created? And how do we give this little child the best possible chance at success. And it's just like in running a business when, I mean, two people come together in the most successful business partnerships, you have two people that come together that are very, very different. I mean, in the the world of entrepreneurs, I mean, this, there's a whole thing called EOS where you look at, you know, a visionary and an integrator. Those two personalities are diametrically opposed, just like in many couples but you learn to maximize the strengths of each person. And that is what is so important in co-parenting is to come and figure out what strengths does mom have and what strengths does dad have and let's utilize those to benefit the child. Oh, I love that so much. So there's three areas that I wanted to talk about today regarding how to co-parent like CEOs. And those are communication, parenting, and boundaries. So we'll start with communication. Um, I know that there's a certain style and method of communication. I talk about it actually a lot on the show, right? How to how to get what we want and need from people and how to frame things and what to say and how to say it. Um, so why don't you give us some clues there? Um, if we are going to co-parent like a CEO, how should the communication be? Absolutely. Well, I mean, first... I always start with the Bill Eddy's, you know, acronym of BIF, Brief, Informative, Friendly, and Firm, (laughs) where, you know, what you're talking about, you think of it in that structure. Then also only deal with one topic at a time. You know, don't send these. A lot of times people communicate by email. They send these emails that are like novels. I mean, and they're, you know, they're rambling, they'll go from one topic to another, then back to the first topic. I mean, those are just calculated to cause conflict. And so again, you have to put yourself as a CEO. I mean, you think of yourself like here you are. It's like Bill Gates and Paul Allen, you know, with Microsoft could not have had two different personalities yet. I mean, they created an amazing company and you have to be able to be clear in your communication, make it brief, make it very um, firm as far as, you know, what you're asking. And it's important when you're communicating, don't seek out somebody's feelings about something. Like when you're in a situation that conflict is likely, you don't want to say things like, well, what, what do you feel about this? Or how does this make you feel? You want to stick to facts and data and logic and, you know, Because as co-CEOs, you're making decisions based in in those things, in data, in logic, in what's best for the child. It's not a big feeling thing. Now, obviously, I'm not saying parents don't have huge feelings, and and they should have them. But in your co-parent communication, you know, post-divorce, that is not the place to be having all the feelings. You know, that would be a conversation you'd want to have like separately with a counselor or maybe with your current partner, you know, but not in these communications where you're trying to get things accomplished for your child. And I mean, another part of the communication for children that's so important is speed. 
children, I mean, you know, we think we have all the time in the world to like do things, decide things. I mean, kids' lives are moving fast. And I mean, people who just dilly dally, that doesn't work. I mean, kids need decisions made and they need decisions made contemporaneously whenever the issue is, and then we need to move on. And so, you know, having firm boundaries around when are people going to respond and, you know, how long are you going to wait for a response until you take action? Now, obviously you have to look at your court documents and make sure, you know, you don't have court things that are telling you and ordering certain time delays, but all these things are important when, for people to understand when they're learning to communicate with each other in a way that is constructive operating in that mindset of we're business partners and we're trying to get a result. And that result is a healthy, happy child who is maximized. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said, especially the part about the feelings, because when our emotions get in the way, people can actually feel the energy because emotions are energy. And so when we push that out, they're getting that energy. And so sometimes if you have a negative emotion that you're expressing out, um, the whole conversation can be misconstrued just because of the emotion um, and not what you're trying to get across. So that was just really great. So the next um, area that I wanted to talk about is parenting, because we know that parents all always have different parenting styles, whether you're you know, in the household together or you're separate, it doesn't matter. But it's one of the biggest sources of contention in relationships. One of the biggest problems in blended families is that we have differing parenting styles. And so um, how, how do you manage that? I know you work with a lot of people, even in, in your practice, where these parents are just two totally different sides, the way they do everything, and they cannot agree, which is always the case. So what do you tell people with that? Well, I mean, one, I actually encourage people, there's a book called Partnership Parenting, and it's written by a couple, um, Kyle and Marsha Klein Pruitt. And they, um, and I can, you know, send that information and we could kind of put that in the notes or whatever, because it is a great book, but it helps it is all about explaining to people how important it is that kids actually have the influence of both mom and dad and the influence of those different parenting styles and that how the different parenting styles have meaning to children at both different developmental stages, whether they're, you know, same gendered with the parent versus not. I mean, there is so much literature out there about how important it is that children have that, that diversity of parenting. The idea that we think all parents are supposed to do it the same way, that's the messed up thinking. Like it, it doesn't have to be the same way and it shouldn't be the same way. And that is not how you maximize your child. You maximize your child by having different styles, you bring different things to the relationship and the child learns from both of them. I mean, I can't tell you how many parents I've worked with, you know, where somebody will call me and they're like, Elise, you know, he is feeding this kid like mac and cheese every day. Like my child is going to die from, you know, a lack of nutrition. And, you know, I'm all about organic broccoli, you know, that's never <laughs> seen a chemical. And that is all my child eats when they're with me. And I mean, literally, this will be something they'll want to have a big fight about. And I mean, I joke about it all the time. I'm like, could we just not have the organic broccoli fight, please? Um, 
I mean, children will be okay eating some mac and cheese. Um, I mean, it's going to be okay. And that is not the kind of thing you should, you know, fall on your sword about. And, and to get people to kind of rise above their parenting differences and understand that some of those differences that they're seeing now, it's some of the positive thing about why they got married in the first place. You know, I mean, the old adage of opposites attract is very true. We often marry somebody who who compliments us. And that same compliment is true in parenting. And it's it it is a tragedy to me when parents can't find the good and the strength in their co-parent. And it's something when I'm working with um, families, I work a lot as a parenting coordinator in very high conflict matters. I mean, I, when I have my initial meeting, I ask them like, you know, what drew you to this person in the first place? Like, what were the things you loved about them? And they'll list them all. And then when we get down later in the interview, I'm like, what makes you angry about their parenting? And they'll list those same things. Oh, <laughs> And it's like, but it's so fascinating when you do it in a structured way. And I mean, obviously many people will catch themselves and they're like, oh, oh, interesting. (laughs) It is interesting. You know, that's one of the best answers I've ever gotten. And because you even, you know, I'm all about perspective and seeing things in a different way. And I've never heard it put that way before. And I love that. I love, you know, saying like, it's okay And it's even good that they have that different example. And I know exactly what you're talking about. You know, when my kids were young, my ex-husband did some things that I didn't approve of. And now looking back, it feels petty because I would get mad at, you know, the late bedtime, the horror movies, the not brushing of the teeth, those things that I felt like, you know, I'm, I'm in, I should be in control and I know what's best and da, 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 da. But, you know, that was the relationship that he had with them. And I had to learn after a while that, It was their responsibility to take care of themselves when they were there. It wasn't, you know, they were getting old enough to know to brush their teeth and to know what's right and wrong to eat. And it wasn't his responsibility anymore. And I had to let that go. Um, And it is funny, the other thing that you said, because now when I, when I compare, you know, I, he's not, my current husband is not at all the same as my ex-husband. However, my ex-husband is more playful and so is my current husband. And that's just something that I'm not. And the things that my ex-husband would be very playful about, you know, it really did help open my eyes because I see my current husband is the same way with the kids. And then I realized it has not, it's not about my ex-husband. This is about maybe, you know, dads are a little bit, you know, different than moms in some respects, at least in my, in my experience, I know everybody's very different, but Absolutely. Um, I, yeah. Well, you just yeah. hit the nail on the head. I mean, this is a real issue in the law, um, when we're looking at dads caring for babies, because, you know, I mean, in typical, again, stereotypical, I realize there's exceptions, you know, women tend to be more nurturing, more Mm -hmm. quiet around children, they're cuddling, you know, they do this, whereas dads are throwing babies up in the air, they're (laughs) wrestling, they're doing whatever. And so, I mean, there's so much, um, you know, data on, in the past, a lot of people looked at dad's behavior as dangerous. And so they would be like, oh, well, they shouldn't be parenting. And as you know, we've all evolved and we've learned more, that's actually dad's way of attaching to the baby. And it's actually really positive. And, and cutting that off is actually negative. 
And, um, and the other thing that is so interesting, I think, when you look at the developmental needs of children, again, the research shows us children like zero to nine, I think it is, very much look to their moms. And again, this is stereotypical, and I'm you know talking about a heterosexual um, mm-hmm. family, but they'll very much look to their moms, whereas nine and 10 to 18, they really look to their dads. But if they haven't built that rapport with their dad from zero to nine, they're then kind of lost in that high schoolish teen developmental stage. And that's when you see a lot of rebellion come out. I mean, it, there's a lot of interesting studies about this. And it's very, it's so complicated because you're trying to help often women understand that by sharing their time when they're divorcing with dads and encouraging dads to be involved in good parents, they're actually bolstering their child's future psychological health. Yeah. And I can say now that I have teenagers that have been through this process that the both fathers, their biological father and their stepfather, they have such they have had such influence from them that I can see it in their personality, but I can also see myself, but it would be very boring for them to have just had my influence and not, you know, so I think it's wonderful. And then they had both of them and, and it's the things that they say and do, and it'll always reference to them. And I now think that it's amazing. And I'm so happy that they got those qualities from them because they got some qualities from them that I can't provide that, that are not about me, you know? So I think that it's, that's such a good point. Now, I know I might have some people listening that say, okay, well, I understand what you're saying. And these are for these petty things, but what about if it's something really serious, such as, um, let's say the child is on drugs or needs surgery or even something as controversial as the vaccine for the COVID or, you know, all these things that um, when it comes to differing parenting styles, that some things we really need to come together on. So what would you say in a case like that? Absolutely. I mean, you hit such good points. I mean, with big medical decisions and the vaccine is a huge, huge thing right now. Um, We're seeing all kinds of things around the vaccine um, I mean, now this is where I tend to think that, you know, we parties get in a situation, obviously, if they have conflict and their court orders, you know, require certain dispute resolution or whatever to handle it. People, I think, don't realize that, I mean, when we're putting these decisions with judges or arbitrators or mediators, you know, in a smaller but kind of way, They're in the same situation all of us are in that, I mean, most people, if you're psychologically healthy, you know, and intellectual enough to analyze a problem, you're going to see pros and cons on both sides. I mean, there are always pros and cons. I mean, we lawyers could talk for hours about the gray of life. And, um, And so people then have got to be able to, in my mind, You have to realize that if you're going to end up in court on this, a judge is simply going to be making the best decision they can and in the best interest of the child. Like the courts are always mandated to do what's best for the children. And so in a situation like the vaccine, for one, I mean, courts are going to be hard pressed to do anything but look to you know, CDC guidelines and the state guidelines. And like, they're not going to be coming up with these random decisions out of nowhere. 
And so it, I think it's important for parents to get a third party. I mean, if you are truly at odds on something that is important like this, I mean, there are resources where you can do co-parent coaching. I would highly encourage that. I mean, there's a book by um, Karen Bennell called The Co-Parents Handbook, and it is a, a goldmine of information. But I mean, she is a co-parent coach, and I'm sure there's resources in there to find such a professional in your area because you need to learn to be able to talk about the conflict and get down to the bottom line of what is it about the child, not about, you know, whether dad is like anti-vaccinations just fundamentally and mom is, you know, pro-vaccinations, but neither of them can discuss like the child's medical situation or, you know, the child's exposure, the child's likelihood of getting the virus, how it might impact the other families. I mean, you have to look at both families. Do you have high risk people? Like there's a there's an intellectual data-based way to get to a solution in almost anything. Mm -hmm. I mean, you just have to rise above the emotion part. And that's obviously the big hard part. But I think getting a third party to help, because I think many people do really struggle. And I mean, there are parenting coordinators, like, you know, every state is different, but I mean, there are people who work. And I mean, this is something I do where I work in families where when they're in dispute and they cannot get to a place where they can agree, I make the decision. And obviously they can bring my decision up on review, you know, whatever their parenting plan says, whether it's an arbitrator or the court, but, um, but we get to a decision. And as part of that, I write the decision and then I write all my reasoning. So there's an analysis of the problem from a non-parent. So, you know, I don't have a, a dog in this show. I can just intellectually analyze the problem, analyze the pros and cons, look at whatever court order governs this family, and then make a decision, you know, based on those factors. And it's hard because obviously parents then are giving up their right to make decisions, you know, when they have somebody like me and that's its own other topic, you know, cause that's, that can be really hard to do, but sometimes it's the best thing to do so that you don't find yourself entrenched in conflict over something that, I mean, there are many answers that it's not right or wrong, good versus bad. You know, there's, there's pros and cons on both sides. Well, that is a great answer. Thank you so much. Great advice. Um, the last category that I wanted to look at, Elise, is boundaries. And we know that a lot of times divorced yeah. people don't always have the best boundaries. And so I would love for you to share, um, if you're parenting like a CEO, then what do the healthy boundaries look like? And also between you know exes and, and co-parents. And how do we establish boundaries that are fair and safe for all and including fairness for the step parent. Oh yeah. I think boundaries <laughs> is huge. Um, I mean, and obviously boundaries, you know, as you know, we can all look back into our own past and understand where we had our own teaching in boundaries that maybe went awry. So, I mean, I think the very first thing that must be done is understanding your own failings. If there are any, 
on boundaries. You know, are you somebody who is a boundary crosser or are you somebody who cannot put a firm boundary in place? Mm. And, you know, the, the line is always moving. And I mean, boundaries in a, a, a situation post-divorce where you're going to be co-parenting and there's blended families, boundaries are, I mean, the, they are the magic sauce to success because you have to be able to set boundaries. They have to be communicated clearly. They have to be based in logic and then they have to be upheld. They cannot be these moving targets. And when you're creating boundaries, again, I mean, I really encourage people to, you know, read some of these books. I mean, the co-parenting handbook is an excellent resource in this, in helping people understand like, you know, what is normal, what is not normal, what, you know, what kind of things make sense when you're, you're working on boundaries. I mean, and when you bring up the issue of a blended family and how do we deal with the step parent as well, I mean, that. The, the author actually of the co-parenting handbook wrote the step family handbook. And it, I mean, it's just come out in the last couple of years and it is just, uh, it's like a Bible to me on blended families. It is so helpful in understanding how to navigate the blended family and those boundaries. It is so important that we don't take over the role of the bio parent. I mean, and in so many cases, women, we women, do this where we'll come in as the stepmom and we then start parenting in a way that's more appropriate for the bio parents to be parenting, but we're doing it in very good intentions. Like, you know, we might see our new husband, he might be dropping the ball on things or, you know, he's busy with work and he's not, you know, doing it the mom way. And so we're stepping in kind of, you know, doing it the mom way that can cause so many problems because there, if there is a healthy bio mom on the other side, I mean, that can feel very boundary crossing to that bio mom. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's so many factors, like if maybe there's an unhealthy bio mom, it might feel boundary crossing, but it also might be needed. So that, you know, would be like a different scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I found in my own blended family that was just, I didn't realize truly how important it was, but my new husband, so, I mean, he is the stepdad of my four children, a girl and three boys. And there was one time something was happening with one of my teen boys. I mean, you know, pretty intense teen boy stuff. And my husband said to me, he was like, Elise, he goes, I'm here. He said, and I'm not going to get involved in this in any way, unless you specifically, you know, ask me to do something. He goes, I know you've had a relationship with these children way longer than I have. And he was like, I trust and respect you implicitly to do good mom things. And he said, so I'm just going to back away knowing that I would completely handle this differently. And he was like, but your way is likely going to be just as valid as my way And so I'm, you know, peace out. Like, I'm just going to be over here supporting you. I mean, that was profound for him to be able to do that, verbalize all that. And for my son to see that I was going to be parenting him and that if there was a need for any backup parenting, 
his stepdad was there, but I was going to go to his bio dad for any backup parenting. And he knew that. And I mean, that goes a long way in helping children understand boundaries and helping them be able to learn to create good boundaries for themselves moving forward. And those are some tough conversations, I think, you know, when, and I think it's really big of a step parent to kind of be like, I would do this different, but you got this. (laughs) So I'm going to go, you know, do something else. Yeah, that's used to what I used to tell Sean. You know, I used to say, "Look, I'm here to support you here in the room when we have our conversations, but you need to be the heavy." And I was always, you know, it was a little different for him because he was he lived with us from the time when my kids were very young, so he was able to be a little bit more of a right. disciplinarian in the house. But those were things that we needed to talk about, and those, you know, that's those are the hard conversations that you're saying. It's not easy to tell somebody, "Hey." I need you to talk to my child this way or that way, or I need you to, you know, do this this way. It's hard. And it's especially hard with step parents because they don't know their role exactly. And they're trying to figure it out and they don't know what's too much or too little. Some people do know and they overstep on purpose. I'm not saying, but the majority of us just don't know what's right from wrong. We're trying to figure it out. And if you have those conversations, then you don't have to guess. You don't have to wonder what's okay. You'll know what's okay because you had the discussion. So that was really, really great. Um, Okay. And you talked about step parents staying in their own lane. Um, And so did you want to elaborate on that at all? Because I know you touched on it there. Yes. I think that, I mean, I think it is one of the ways to keep conflict at bay is if step parents cannot be stepping out of their lane and parenting or stepping out of their lane and trying to dictate to the bio parent how it should be done. I mean, because let's face it, we all come to these relationships with all of our past and the step parent, you know, wasn't there when maybe the marriage was breaking down and, you know, maybe there was a bunch of conflict, who knows? I mean, there could have been domestic violence. There could be all kinds of things that have the bio parent acting in a certain way that the step parent just doesn't have um, insight into. And so it, I think it is so important. I mean, you know, obviously I think this way before the marriage of the new blended family, having these conversations And I think it is very important as part of staying in your lane is developing a rapport with somebody, with a professional, whether it's a counselor who's got experience with a blended family, because blended families are complicated. I mean, it is very complicated. Mm -hmm. And you often need the help of somebody else to kind of talk through some of these things and make it where it can be safe and you can have the conversations you need to have. I mean, there's a book called Radical Candor that literally guides my whole life, but, and it's all about caring personally and challenging directly and being able to have that type of conversation with a a new spouse or a, a soon to be spouse, or, you know, as you're, you're dealing with the bumps of a blended family. I mean, those conversations can be, I mean, I mean, they can really be jarring, you know, if, they're not had in a way that is productive and that, you know, you, cause I mean, even in listening to your questions, like it is obvious to me that you understand how difficult it was to be a step parent 
you know, that, Mm -hmm. and that needs to be honored just as it needs to be honored that that step parents shouldn't be imposing their will on all the things, you know, there's got to be a balance and the children have got to feel supported by their bio parent and parented by their bio parent. And obviously children who are raised with a step parent from early on, I mean, in our own home, I mean, I have one child who started living with his stepdad when he was eight and I, and my oldest at the time was like 16. Those are two totally different developmental stages. And those two children have totally different relationships with their stepdad. And for me, I've been really lucky because my husband has been able to truly navigate all those differences. And he knew he needed to be way more hands-off with a 16-year-old than with an eight-year-old. And Mm. do you know what I mean? Like, it, it can't look the same. I mean, those children's brains are developmentally different. They need different things. Yeah, that makes sense. And also, you know, just to add to that, one of the things that I learned this year is that by me trying to control the way my husband parents his children, even though I am stepmom, even though I, I, I've been there since they've been very young, I was taking away his own ability to do it on his own and to figure it out on his own, right? Because sometimes parents, we need to figure out the right and the wrong way. And sometimes we need to make our own mistakes and learn through it so we can get the lesson and have the outcome that we want. And sometimes that looks bumpy. And I was trying to control because I felt I knew better and I knew what they needed. And whether I did or not didn't matter. What mattered is that he needed to figure it out and he needed to do it. He didn't need me to do it. He needed to learn what he needed to do and do it on his own. And when I learned to take a step back completely and like not just just let him figure it out, he, guess what? He figured it out. He did Absolutely. on his own, you know? So, yeah. Well, in his way is likely not going to ever look the exact same as your way. Right. You know what I mean? Even once he figures it out, it's going to look different because you're different people and you're coming at this from completely different places. Exactly. And, yeah. And I mean, in his way, and I mean, it's so hard for people to understand that if somebody is parenting in a way that is not authentic to their personality, that relationship with that child is not as robust and not as close as it could be because it is a very inauthentic, forced, uncomfortable kind of place. And when, and again, and I don't mean to blame us moms, but we we moms tend to be real controlling about this Mm -hmm. and we want dads to do it all our way and it doesn't feel right for them. They're so like, I mean, I get to observe parents in a lot of my work at doing investigations and evaluations. So I go and observe parent-child interactions and the differences that I see when I do these observations, when I see dads mostly, you know, if they're doing an observation and mom happens to be around is going to look one way. (laughs) Whereas if I do an observation with dad totally in his own environment, just with the children, I mean, you almost don't recognize the children. And when I write these reports, parents will say, I had no idea my child even liked to play guitar with their dad, or I didn't know this. And it's because dad has, you know, been really different around mom or vice versa, or mom is walking on pins and needles around dad. And it's fascinating to see 
when people, I mean, and that's why a lot of times people are so much better off apart and the children actually thrive because their parents come into their own and their parents can be their best parenting selves on their own with their children. Oh, that is some good stuff. I love it. Love it. Love it. So I've got the biggest question for you now. You ready? I want to know <laughs> if a blended family starts out and let's just say it's been rocky. Let's say it's been five years of chaos and rockiness and they just can't figure it out. Is it possible to start parenting like CEOs after having such a traumatic start? Is it possible? And how do we start? Oh, I definitely think it's possible. I mean, I have seen some families transform. Um, how do you start? I would say one, you read the step family handbook first and foremost, both of you, you know, would read this because you want to understand what everyone is going through. The step family handbook really helps you understand what the other person is feeling, what the children are feeling. Like it really helps you understand kind of the whole picture because a lot of times people are only focused on what they're feeling. And you've got, I think of it like a Rubik's cube. I mean, when I'm looking at a family, I think of all the different configurations, like how can I turn that Rubik's cube around a million different ways and what is it going to look like and how does each turn affect the other person in the family? And so really being able to do that. And then again, I would really encourage people to use a co-parent coach, somebody that you can go and meet with and you sit down together in the room and you talk about very specific issues. So like if maybe one person is super lenient with their children and the other parent is more strict and there's this conflict around it, you know, you would go work that out. You, there's compromises you can make. There's ways you can address it where maybe you're doing some activities that are completely separate. You know, maybe um, dad is doing things with his bio children. You're doing things with your bio children and they're not always together. You're not always forcing them to be together. Um, and that comes up a lot. I mean, and I know, I mean, that was a thing I know we dealt with in our family. We made a real commitment. Again, my children were older though, um, so when, you know, we started, I mean, we had kids, you know, in that high schoolish age. And I mean, we committed the moment we came together that we would never force their interactions in ways that we were going to let them kind of work this out at their own paces. And, um, and I mean, as you can imagine, six kids, there were six different paces. And we had to just, you know, we, we had to kind of lose our expectations of, you know, the Brady Bunch. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> of like everything yeah. being such a way. And so we would plan birthday dinners and I literally would just be like, hey guys, you know, it's so-and-so's birthday. We're planning to go to this place at this time. Let us know who's coming by this time and I'll make a reservation for the right number. Like we didn't even force that, you know? And 90% of the time, everybody came, but there were sometimes somebody was like, I don't really want to go. I'm like, okay, don't go. Not a big issue. Um, but I think that, you know, that requires a lot of, um, uh, comfort with not having, you know, certain expectations met. 
And I think, you know, part of that is letting go of some of the expectations and realizing just how bumpy it is. And I think that, you know, because of the work I do, I mean, I definitely was able to see things differently, I think, than a lot of people who, you know, just don't have any experience with this situation and, you know, all the conflict that comes up. And I, you know, we fall in love with a new person and we think it's all going to be great. And of course, everything's going to work perfectly. And it's like, I mean, it's one of the hardest things ever. I mean, it's why second marriages, you know, have an even higher divorce rate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm doing this show because I want to help people succeed. But at least you've given us such amazing advice today, resources, tips, ideas, different ways of looking at things. And I appreciate it so much. But you also have another resource that you haven't shared yet, which is that you also have a podcast called the Maximum Mom Podcast. So tell us what is it about and who's it for? Oh, sure. It is Oh, it's the Maximum Mom podcast, and it's actually done for moms who are attorneys and entrepreneurs. I mean, I call it the the trifecta. I mean, when you think of, you know, raising a family, I mean, that's a full-time job. Let's be serious. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being a lawyer, I mean, I hate to say it, but being a lawyer is a really tricky job, and it can be very stressful. And then those of us that run our own law firms, I mean, it is some wild stuff to put the three of those things together and to be able to do it successfully. And so I started the Maximum Mom podcast. Um, I mean, I'm in my fifties and I got, you know, all kinds of people would reach out to me in various lawyer groups and they're like, Whoa, how did you do this? Like, you know, how do you run this successful law firm, have all these kids, you know, what in the world? And so I was, you know, I kept answering people's questions individually. And then I was like, I'm going to do a podcast. I said, you know, cause people want to know about all the things. And, you know, I joke, I mean, it's you, the maximum mom podcast is about a bunch of women who, I mean, we have to juggle a lot of things. And I mean, a lot of times you're just a plain old hot mess and that's okay. Because I mean, juggling, I mean, I know for me juggling six kids, being a lawyer and running a law firm. I mean, there were some weeks that I was like, whoa, what am I doing? Yeah, that sure sounds like a lot, Elise. I know I had I had four kids and I was running a few businesses, but I got very sick. So that just shows you that, you know, it was it was too much for me. And so I don't know how you're doing it, but I'm glad that you are because we all need people like you in this world. What's the best way for listeners to contact you? Um, probably through our website at elisebuiefamilylaw.com. I mean, you can go in there. There's a ton of resources. I mean, I think I have reading resources. And then obviously, you know, you can look me up on social media. I'd be happy to connect with people on social media. And if anybody ever has any questions, I mean, you can always go under the website and do an email through the info email. And um, I mean, that will get to me and we can set up a time and chat because, you know, everybody's state is different, resources are different, and I'm always happy to provide resources to people because the more we can do to help people stay out of conflict, the better children are, and the better children are, the better all of our futures are. Yes, that's absolutely true. Um, 
So if there's, well, by the way, I will put all of the links, everything, your links and everything that you mentioned, because you mentioned like so many good resources. So I'll make sure to look all of those up and add those in the links for the listeners. Um, And I just want to thank you, Elise, because this has been an amazing show, just chock full of information that I know my listeners need and crave. And so I thank you for everything that you said. But I want to give you an opportunity right now, before we go, if there's one thing at the end here that you could say right now to encourage my audience, if they're struggling to make co-parenting relationship work, what would it be? Learn everything you can about high conflict personalities Mm -hmm. and how best to communicate with them. And I would say, start with the high conflict Institute which is run by William Eddy, E-D-D-Y, who is, I mean, he's a lawyer, he's a mediator. He has written a bazillion books. I mean, Splitting, which is a really great book, all kinds of books, but he also has a class called New Ways for Families, I think it's called. But I mean, anything you could get out of the High Conflict Institute would be helpful because if you're struggling with co-parenting, you know, like a year, two years after your divorce, you are likely dealing with a high conflict personality. Now, to be fair, it could be you are the high conflict personality. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, and, and learning how to deal with it, understanding what's happening. And the more you can learn to communicate in a way that you're not inviting problems, because that is one thing that I think... I mean, there's so much work around communication. I mean, part of the work in our firm we do when we get a new client, I mean, I ask them, I'm like, send me all the emails that you think you're going to send, you know, your spouse, like send them to me first and let me look at them because I can learn just from that exercise, whether my client is emotionally intelligent Mm -hmm. and going to be able to navigate this or whether they're going to need some training on emotional intelligence. And I think getting that training is critical. I mean, there's another book that, and I know I'm telling everyone, you're going to have to have like a month just to read, but there is a book that I love written by Gabrielle Hartley, who she is an attorney and a mediator, and it's called The Radically Positive Way to Separate, and it's called Better Apart. And I mean, it it, it really helps you understand, you know, how you can look at your situation And instead of saying in that either victim mindset or angry mindset, really understanding how your life can just be so much better. And, but that does require letting go of some of the anger, learning some of these communication skills, you know, and, and giving up on some things that just are not worth the fight. I mean, don't have organic broccoli fights. Just don't do it. (laughs) There you go. Sure. The best advice of the day. Don't have yeah. organic broccoli fights. I actually have had Gabrielle Hartley on the show and I loved her. I love her work as well. Elise, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. Listeners, please support Elise. If you heard, if you liked what you heard today, and I don't know how you couldn't because it was all amazing, head on over to her website. The links will be in the show notes. Head on over there. Check out her work. Contact her if you need her more personal help because this is something that everybody needs these days. And if you liked what you heard also, and you have a friend that could use this information, please share the show. Thank you, Elise. Thank you so much. 
You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.